Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. On today's podcast, is catcalling really a problem? To discuss this, I'll be joined by Sinead O'Carroll, news editor at thejournal.ie, who tweeted about a recent unpleasant experience where she was catcalled on a Dublin street on the way to work, and it sparked a horribly divisive lifeline debate on Radio 1. I'll also be talking to UL Professor of Psychology Orla Muldoon, who wrote an op-ed for this paper a few months ago on the issue of women being harassed while out running. She speaks to me about that and digs into the psychology around catcalling in general. First, though, Roisin Ingle is here for a chat. Roisin, something really, really significant has happened in the North. Yeah, I mean, it's quite incredible. I mean, it was so fast what happened with us repealing the 8th and then the call went up straight away. The North is next. And we've talked about it on this podcast a few episodes ago. And, you know, in a really quick time, thanks to the likes of Stella Creasy and also Conor McGinn around the same sex marriage, Parliament has now on Monday voted to force the government uh, in Northern Ireland to liberalise access to abortion and allow same sex marriage in Northern Ireland if this is very important, if devolution can't be restored. And so basically, if Stormont doesn't open by October 21st, same-sex marriage and abortion, these two red-hot topics in Northern Ireland, things we thought we'd be spending another few years working on, will be hopefully in place. So it's it's a little bit like on Monday, I think, was a bit like our Dublin Castle Day for us. There was a bit of that going on Except up the it north. all came very suddenly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they kind of knew last week that this was going to sort of be the day if it passed. And it's it's in, it's incredible because you think of all the work that's been done and you think of Sarah Ewart, you know, the woman who so bravely took her own case. She had a fatal fetal abnormality and the relief for so many people. And, and the that, likes of Goretti Horgan. Exactly. I mean, there are so many And the Lions names. for Joyce and that poor woman who's being prosecuted because she procured uh, abortion pills for her daughter, her 15-year-old daughter. You know, all these cases that are very real and happening up there. I mean, we didn't have so many of, of those but more recently, um, there have been so many crackdowns on people. So it's a really live issue. And this is going to be so such a relief for people. If nothing steps in between now and October 21st, abortion will be decriminalised in the north. Yeah. And women currently facing criminal trials will have their prosecutions dropped from October I mean, 22nd. It's huge. It's huge. I, I liked the, the, the line from Patrick Corrigan, the director of mm. Amnesty International who's done amazing Northern Ireland, work. who's done amazing work, who said it was a historic day for human rights nowhere on these islands. Now, we always thought we were the most oppressed. <laughs> but he says nowhere on these islands have people had to fight longer and harder for their human rights than in Northern Ireland. Future generations in Northern Ireland will no longer have to suffer inequality in the way so many have had to endure in the past. Now Amnesty's attention will focus on ensuring the speedy implementation of access to health care and marriage for people in Northern Ireland. So happy days. And I have to say a big thanks to Stella Creasy, who uh, you might remember came on this podcast. She came yes. over from England. She's the um, she's a, an MP in Walthamstow in East London. And she started the whole thing because a constituent of hers got in touch to, to talk to her about it. And she came over to Dublin. She did the podcast. She walked in the March for Choice here. She wore a repeal jumper in Parliament. She has been on it and on it all the time. And ever she has since. faced down awful abuse. She has. And she got yes. um, the, the fees that women who travel have to pay and it's free for people on the NHS so she got that quashed so at least when women travel now to England they don't have to pay for, for their abortions but she has been there the whole time and Conor McGinn similarly uh, born in County Armagh he's been on the same sex marriage case all those years as well so we have to give kudos to them but just going back to Sarah Ewart who was forced to travel for an abortion in 2013 despite having a, a diagnosis of fatal fetal abnormality 
She said she talked about the overwhelming relief that we're finally seeing an end to the abortion law that has caused so many women like me huge amounts of pain. We've wanted reform and justice for so long and now we've got it. So I think it's the relief and it's just people getting their dignity back and their human rights back and all that kind of stuff. The same things that we've, we've felt here with repeal. And you always feel that Lyra McKee's spirit is 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 hovering over it all, don't I you? I and mean, her it all partner, seems to have... her partner said, you know, with that bittersweet thing, the fact that you know they were planning to get married, she was planning to ask Lyra to marry her, and um, that you know that she's obviously not here to see that happen. But it is, it's it's incredible yeah. times in Northern Ireland. But so much has happened on the backs of women, and also on the shoulders of great women. So. We'll move on to a rather strange thing, which I want you to to my attention, and I really wasn't aware, that in England and Wales, police weren't obliged to offer female detainees free sanitary products who were having their periods. I I find this amazing. Now, the problem is we we haven't done any research on the situation in Ireland. We will. We'll look at it. I would be horrified to think that women being held in custody were not given sanitary products. And didn't have to hand over money for them. Yeah, That's two I, I actually there. wouldn't be surprised if if that was the case. If they did, if they did have to pay, but I'm going to definitely check it out because it's isn't it funny how it's one of these subjects. Periods are so much more talked about now, and again, it's happened very quickly. Period poverty is such a huge issue. There's really great activism happening in Ireland and in England around it, and indeed around the world. So it, it was interesting to see that they've decided to give. Um, the, the tampons and sanitary pads and all that free. Uh, but we are going to find out what the situation is in Ireland. Yeah, the um, other thing, part of this legislation is that custody officers must ask all detainees if they wish to speak in private with a member of custody staff about any matter concerning their personal health, hygiene and welfare needs. Now, again, I would have thought that was taken for granted but obviously it's not so Roisin will know more yeah, next but time the thing is I always, I've been thinking about this subject a lot and I hope we can do um, something more and we've, we've touched on it quite a bit on the podcast but you know like, it's like if you went into a, a toilet and you know if a man went, man went into a toilet and they had to pay for toilet paper they'd be kind of saying that was weird but it's kind of if you think about it the same thing you know, women just need that stuff. It's not like, you know, additional. And I thought there was a great quote from Gabby Edlin, who is from a wonderfully named charity, Bloody Good Period, which I love. And she said the changes would help preserve the human rights of women, non-binary and trans detainees. And she says, it's brilliant news. Our needs are not extra. They're not additional. It is just different from men. And that means it has to be considered essential for most of the human race. So I think it's it's that change in the thinking, isn't it? That it's yeah. not some kind of extra additional stuff, you know. Well, it's one of those things you, know, you think you're past, you're past being shocked. I mean, <laughs> I am genuinely shocked that this is not the case already. So it'll be interesting to hear what the situation is in, in, in Irish prisons. Yeah. Um, Roisin, do you feel able to talk about parental burnout or are you too tired? No, I'm too stressed. Are you? I'm too, I'm too worn out. But uh, there was a very good article on irishtimes.com this week and the headline was something like, you know, do you have any of these telltale signs of parental burnout? So I just said yes to myself. I didn't even bother reading it because I know I do. I didn't have time to read it, Cathy. I was too burnt out. What do you think the signs are? Can I don't know. You, I mean, we have I, guess? <laughs> I think it's just all, I mean, I think it's it's probably similar to other kinds of burnout, but it's just that overwhelm, the feeling of overwhelm, so much to do. And then the guilt around not doing enough and trying to, and especially in the summertime and with it being so hot as well, that adds to the burnout. I think. Yeah, 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 no, the heat is actually, it's very close. It's very close, as, as what a great word. Well, just for your information, parental yeah. burnout is more than simply feeling stressed or worn oh, out okay. several times over a long period. It is characterised by constant feelings of exhaustion, with little or no relief or break from it. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. I can relate yeah. to that a bit. Yeah. There was actually, oddly enough, at the same time this week as we were talking about featuring this, I, there was a very good piece in The Guardian by a freelance writer who said she suddenly had this eureka moment where she realised she didn't have to hide the fact that she had a baby uh, from anybody. She was, she was, but she was also placing impossible conditions on herself. Basically, she was, if, she, if she was doing a phone interview, she would disappear her baby she'd get somebody okay. to mind the baby so she wasn't letting researchers know on radio programs or whatever no. oh I have a child and I need to get childcare no and she absolutely and she was let down several times and then she'd have to sort of basically gag the baby no, I'm <laughs> making that up but sort of putting the baby in a different room and leaving lots of unhealthy snacks beside yes. the baby and we're stuff definitely not advocating gagging babies on no no no, no we're 
not doing that at all. That was a joke <laughs> for, the, for the purpose of explaining. But she also was telling editors she was available at 30 minutes notice to cover stories, which so and, and she sort of she, she was she was being she was interviewing this photographer, I think, over the phone and she was doing a bit of research on him and realised that he had two young children and suddenly thought, this is not unusual. What does he do with his children? When And she sort of said to him, do you mind if there's a baby cooing in the background or maybe even screaming? And of course he didn't mind. Now, I'm not saying it's what we should all do in the course of a day's work. It's going to be very distracting indeed. But I think we're also maybe moving on a little bit from that point of view. I definitely think so. I think it's a good point. And then just finally, I wanted to talk about a new initiative in Cork. A great place um, where you've heard of men's sheds. Yeah, oh, definitely. Wonderful things. And yes. now there are women's sheds and they have been set up. One of them has been set up in Middleton in County Cork in an effort to ensure that women are not being left behind. Now, the men's sheds movement, that sort of exploded in 2011. There was 380 of them around the country and there were four places for men to meet. And this idea that men can talk to each other better when they're side by side doing something. Yes. And obviously after the recession as well, or, yes. there was a lot of unemployment and people mm. who were in very very sort of practical kind of jobs uh, hadn't got things to do so they really it really was a great success but there's this woman Magda Swersek which I'm probably pronouncing wrong but she's I think Polish woman in Middleton and she said she'd heard of men's sheds she thought it was a brilliant idea and she just felt women were being left behind so she googled women's sheds and she found ones in Dungarvan and Limerick and she contacted them and now she set one up in Middleton so she's hoping to get a group of women together who enjoy hanging out with each other making new friends and learning new things and I'm kind of wondering is it going be wine involved in these sheds or is it just going to be alcohol Roshan, free you're shed? terrible <laughs> it's the burnout we can happy. enjoy ourselves without alcohol <laughs> no I you know, know but I just can't you know I'm just looking it's terrible. Yeah, you're right. There probably isn't anyone. Actually, one of the things I noticed is with this one, this one, this men's shed, sort of a few miles from where I live, and it was in a dingy old house at the edge of a town. And I noticed the other day the house has been utterly transformed. It's turned into a beautiful house. So all these men in there are chatting to one another shoulder to shoulder as yeah. is recommended which is I think how a lot of people feel comfortable anyway. Yeah, I'd like to talk shoulder to shoulder yeah, as well. It's just... And we advise to do that with our children with our teenage children especially driving along in the car um, you're not supposed to be driving now of course but if you're driving along in the car whatever and you're shoulder to shoulder at least you're not confronting the child and the child isn't confronting you and it's much less challenging. So it makes an awful lot of sense. Now I'm not sure if this latest proposal involves women I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, she says um, that the group is keen to learn martial arts such as Tai Chi and mindfulness and they're looking to arrange classes and the treasurer of the Middleton Men's Shed, Tom Hogan, be interested to see what he thought because is there any kind of division in the shed movement? Um, He said that the Middleton Women's Shed is a great idea and he wished the group the best of luck and he said it's all about reducing isolation and protecting mental health and if it is the case that women need another social outlet, well best of luck to them. I wonder was there a little bit of a barb in there from Tom saying if women need another social outlet like they've I'd enough say, social outlet. I said Tom is a lovely man. <laughs> I'm only um, joking that's very nice of Tom to I've welcome had, the women into the men's sheds movement. In the last week I've had radishes from a men's shed oh. I've had lettuce, um, I've had a man tell me about, there were two courses on offer at the one time and he was Kill trying to pick which one it was going to be and one was actually a cookery course and he's really regretful that he chose the other one I forget what it was um, but it's a brilliant movement and I would actually love to learn to paint properly I would love to learn maybe to do simple plumbing um, and if that's in, 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 a, in a female space well I say let's With go for wine. it well, okay. Plumbing and wine doesn't really. If go we're in together. the same women's shed, let's have the wine as well. I have a feeling you'd get distracted. But anyway, I Kathy, do want to. Are you to learn. going anywhere on your holidays? I'm going to turn into a hairdresser now. I have no plan right now. Everybody I know is going to Japan for the rugby. Yes, isn't oh. that annoying? Yeah. When is yeah. that happening? Um, September, October. Right. So that's everyone's insta- instead of doing a big holiday, they're going to absolutely. Right. And some of them are terrified um, of something so so. Uh, distant and exotic because obviously Japan amazing it is it will be amazing and obviously a lot depends on how far Ireland get in the in the qualifiers but that that's going to be a big thing now great yeah Uh, but in the meantime where are you going I'm going to the west of Ireland because I love the west of Ireland and maybe a little bit of France I'm hoping fingers crossed a bit of camping in France because my kids are in mutiny because we've been going on holidays in Ireland for like so long that they feel very hard done by and they're giving out to me. And that's more parental burnout. You see, the constant criticism and, you know, all that Well, stuff. you know what? I agree with the kids. 
some of my happiest, genuinely most happy moments have been driving onto a ferry when you get to it at the last minute and you nearly have to sort of <laughs> jump the car across the across the the, yeah. the, the, the loader, the loading bay. Um, and heading off and being out at sea and knowing you're away from it Me too. Oh, Cathy, you're making me feel so longing for it and just sleepy. We're going on the WB8s, which is a big, and it comes from Dublin, which is fantastic. And there's loads of stuff on board for kids. I just like sleeping on a boat. I find that very exotic. Your children are right in this instance. Okay, okay. You should go. The west of Ireland is lovely, but it is always there. Yes, it's always there, but it's always beautiful. It is always beautiful and it's always there. You can head off there for a weekend. Well, thank you very much for the holiday advice. What's going on in the episode today? We're going to be talking about catcalling, Roisin. And we have two really great guests in to talk about it. And that arc that goes from catcalling all the way up to murder. So it's going to be very cheerful. But it's very interesting. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Now, have you ever been catcalled? Ever been on the receiving end of unwanted attention while quietly going about your own business? Chances are, if you're a woman, you probably have. But is catcalling really anything to get excited about? Maybe you're someone who finds it complimentary. But for many women and girls, it's not. And often it can be quite frightening. Take this, for instance. A 2015 Dublin City Council report into sexual harassment in Dublin showed that sexual harassment is a frequent and distressing occurrence for women and girls and that for many women walking the streets of Dublin, catcalling, wolf whistling and being shouted at from cars is an everyday occurrence. I'm joined now by news editor of the journal.ie Sinead O'Carroll and UL Professor of Psychology Orla Muldoon. Sinead, you were recently on the receiving end of a catcall on your way to work one morning. Tell me what happened. Yeah, I was walking to work. So um, I start work at seven o'clock um, most mornings. So I was walking down and there is roadworks kind of happening pretty much my whole way um, from once I get out or not roadworks, building works happening once I get out of my apartment down. And I'd almost got to the office and a car was beside me. It was I, I can't actually remember if it was stopped or just going really slowly beside me and um, heard noises from my left, looked over window had been rolled down. The car actually stopped? Yeah, it, it was either really slow or stopped. I can't really remember. You know when these things happen, you can't really figure out every exact. Um, but it definitely wasn't driving by. It wasn't a, a quick drive by. And two lads were leaning out the window, shouting at me, and another just sitting back and did that hissing kind of tss, tss, tss noise at me with a cock of the head. And then I realised I recognised him. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And then the other two were still shouting and I, I paused for a second and then walked on. And kind of, you know, you have that moment where your heart races a little bit, your stomach has dropped a bit and then you're like, oh, I'm grand and walked into work and told everyone in the office. And it was only after a few minutes, one of the lads in the office said, are you OK? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Just kind of got a little bit of a scare. And it kind of takes a while to process like, oh, that's not OK, is it? That like. It was 10 to 7 in the morning. I'm just going about my business and three lads decide to just shout at me from their car. <laughs> now, which bit of it f- made you freeze, Sinead? Um, they didn't get out of the car. They didn't get out of the car. I was So there was a couple of things that probably made me, that jarred a bit with me. One definitely because I recognised one of them. That made is me he very, actually Is he very pause. famous? Yeah. Everybody wants to know who he is, obviously. Yeah, no, it, just, it wouldn't be worth it because, you know, people have fans. They'll just descend on you and it's not, it's not worth naming the person. And also... I felt like it was important to say that I recognised him because it did make the incident more jarring. Um, but also it's beside the point who he is because like loads of people do this. Because of the building works, there, the road is really thin where it happened. So I was actually right beside the car. There's only space for one person and one car at the moment on that on that laneway. Um, so I was incredibly close to them. That, that freaked me out afterwards as well. Um, and... Usually there's not that many people around at that time of the morning. It's an exception now because there are so many fantastic builders who are lovely. So when people talked about building sites, I was like, all those builders we pass every day are delightful and you get to know each other and you say hello politely. (laughs) Um, So they were all around. So, you know, there was less of the idea that something could have happened. Um, But just people screaming at you, it makes you just takes away from your normal, nice walk to work listening to Have you any idea what they were burn. saying? Apart from the hissing noise, have you any idea what they were saying? No, it was just shouting, you know, trying to get your attention. I 
I wouldn't couldn't have made out what they were saying. It was just leering is the best kind of term I have for it. So you went back to the office and you were obviously a bit rattled by it because you told people about it. And then you decided to tweet about it. Yeah, so it took me a few minutes and uh, I texted my boyfriend saying, this happened. And I was going to tweet about it, but then I thought maybe I shouldn't because people might take issue with me tweeting about it or take it up the wrong way or maybe feel like I was looking for attention or whatever. And he kind of said, it's up to you. You tweet about lots of interesting things that happen in your day and that's interesting. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, that, that's a fair point. Um, why would I not do it when it is something that has been on my mind for the last few minutes? And it's also something that I have got less of over the last couple of years. And it was something that I thought didn't really happen as much anymore. Mm. Um, but from the responses and, and things, I kind of realized it was something that I used to say years ago as a single person, single people get it a lot more because you're just on your own a lot more. And since I've been with someone, I've probably noticed it less. And it's probably because I'm walking around with Lorcan a lot more than I am walking around by myself. Um, so you're not surprised. So I'm probably, I'm probably just getting less of it. I used to get a lot more of it. But. So were you quite surprised then at the response on Twitter? Um, I, it was more the level of, I wasn't surprised that some people were telling me to cop on and like it was like I was overreacting it was more the anger I was surprised at there was a lot of people who were really angry that I would have brought this up which I thought was an unusual thing because I really didn't see how anyone could take issue with me saying three men screaming at me at 10 to 7 in the morning is not nice like I really don't see how anyone could argue that it's actually okay okay. like three people and I and I think there's a scale like I wasn't saying someone wolf whistled at me or gave me like a like misplaced compliment or like it was three men hissing and shouting so what kind of confirmed that really in a way was some of the responses one of which said oh she's no Kardashian (laughs) and another one saying she's no Margot Robbie who I had to look up because I'm afraid I'm not familiar but she's pure blonde isn't she she's pure blonde she's pure beautiful as well so like I really am into any Margot Robbie but I don't think (laughs) but doesn't it confirm that people think this is all about looks yeah it was odd people actually thought that I was getting a compliment, yeah. which... Well, and and that, that, that kind of confirmed it. Orla, I listened back to Liveline that day, <laughs> which you were on very briefly, Sinead. You were on long enough to... I got in and got out. ...to say what happened. <laughs> and then something really weird happened. And I actually took notes. I began to take notes while I was listening to it. And basically, um, it was, can't believe this is being discussed. In London, I heard many catcalls. Not now because it's the more hostile climate for young men. They're inhibited now. Another one. Why don't... These are all older women now about my age. A bit older, maybe. Why don't women grow up, for Christ's sake? I'd be delighted to get a cat call. Mm. Another one said, I'm sure you don't get any wolf whistles to Councillor Janice Boylan. That's what's wrong with you. And that was a woman. Nobody can insult me. I'm a strong woman. You're anti-men, anti-men. Mary, who's 71, said she worked in a very male environment in the 60s in London. Love the wolf whistling. Shame that it's gone. She does feel women make a big fuss about nothing. They go out half naked anyway, so what, what do they think is going to happen? Yeah, you're asking for it. Uh, Kira, an older woman, uh, said, I'd ignore it. The age I grew up in a wolf whistle was a compliment. Get over it. Now, a 22-year-old, so up to that point I was thinking these are all women who just pushed through that era and were conditioned to expect something. A 22-year-old rang in and she said, go home and tell your mother about it. Get over it. And Orla, what happened uh, throughout this, woven into it, I don't know if you heard it, was the defending men. One woman actually said, boys will be boys. What's wrong with you? What do you say to that? Mm. What do I say to that? I think that the... um, So before I heard your story, um, I had an interaction, just coincidence last week, with um, a family member who had seen what I had written quite a while ago now about um, an experience when out running... And um, this family member, who I hadn't seen in a long time, um, said to me, and does that still happen to you? And I, so the intimation from this family member was, wasn't I lucky that at my... (laughs) Somebody's actually uh, noticing (laughs) it. Somebody is still looking at an old doll like me. So 
Um, and it was quite an interesting exchange because there was many family members present. And my answer to her and uh, my answer to you is um, it's that kind of ambivalence around this that sustains it. So I think one of the things we get when we talk about this is we get, well, not all men yeah. do that. And I'd like to talk about not all men in a minute. But actually, women are incredibly ambivalent about this. So not all women have the same reaction um, as Sinead does. And other women undermine Sinead then when she tries to say, no, I'm not OK with being frightened on the street. Do you know, we live in a, a first world country. We, sh we shouldn't be frightened on the street. Um, but very many women, and I would say very many young women in particular, and very many young women who are not white uh, are frightened on our streets. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm not picking at you, Sinead. I'm just mm. pointing out things in your discourse because um, that's what psychologists do. Is She was particular about pointing out it was 7 a.m. As if in some way, if it had happened at 7 p.m., she might be somehow culpable. But at 7 p.m., she's still not culpable. I would go so far as to say she should be safe walking on our streets at 2 a.m. But of course, people will take issue with that. But what she had was a very clean example that reduced down all these levels of contention. But still, even with this 7A example, she wasn't drunk. She, you know, um, she was only going to work. work. Even with all this, you know, she wasn't dressed in a way that you know, could be construed as problematic. Um, even with all these things, she still we have a not all women situation. Orla, something, uh, one incident made you write about this for the Irish mm. Times. Tell us about your experience. Yeah, so um, my incident, and I was thinking as, as Sinead spoke, what was the difference? My incident, uh, I think, is probably different because I am older and more sick of it. Um, and I said it to... Um, so I'm in my late 40s. I said it to a friend of mine who's also a, a runner. So we were out running. Um, I run with two considerably younger women there in their early 30s. Um, on one particular run that was less than 5K, um, we were harassed three times. And on the most serious incident, one of these 30-year-olds, of course, is faster by, by a stretch. She had kind of gotten ahead of us and a group of young men had encircled her as she went. Now, this is on very much on University of Limerick campus and just outside of, so very much in the university zone. She had insert, they had encircled her and ran with her down the street in a, what was a very threatening manner. So by the time we came back up, having had three incidents on this 5K run about, um, and I come back up, um, I was really cross because, of course, this was my space. You know, um, and as a colleague said to me afterwards, he said, imagine, he said, a professor at the university is chased down the street and sexually harassed. And there's no response. Nobody has. So nobody had anything to say. So I decided I'd speak. Mm. Um, I think one of, <laughs> one of the things when people were people genuinely were asking whether I felt threatened or intimidated and I was saying, like, we have been brought up um, by wonderful parents who are instilling feminism in us and equality, but it still live to common sense rules. So they have brought us mm. up to not walk home in the dark by ourselves, not walk home if we've had too much drink taken. Parents will collect us to make sure that that doesn't happen. We've been told to be careful about who we meet, when we meet them, how we meet them, make sure that we know them before going to mm. private spaces with them. Have your so, keys out before you get to the door. Yeah, yes. like all of these things, make sure there's no one behind you and that you close the door behind you. So that, that's the that's the atmosphere we've been brought up in. We know that that means it's not all men, but we know that the people that our parents are talking about and that society is telling us about are more than likely men who could want to hurt us. But the, it's not like they wear badges. Like it's not like that guy over there has a badge that says he's a good one, so I actually don't have to worry about him and that guy's the... The, the bad one over there so make sure I don't walk by him so if th if people start actually screaming at you or shouting at you or encircling you it's probably the best indicator we have of when we need to put our alerts on so I really couldn't understand how people did not understand how we could feel threatened or intimidated by that behaviour when 
that is exactly what they've told us to be. And Orla, you pointed out that when you went back to, to, uh, to, your, to your male counterparts, none of them had experienced the harassment that you'd had on your route. And Gary Gannon has written about this as well, the Dublin uh, politician, um, and has pointed out something similar, that he's quite a handsome young man, so we'll do the Kardashian mm. comparison there. Um, and he has never in his life has he been catcalled or wolf-whistled at or whatever. So... When you went back, the male, your male counterpart said never happened to us. Well, this, so, so it definitely a, is. A, yeah, this was a running group, right? So this is a group that meets in the university and runs a couple of nights a week. So, um, And at the time, there had been a big report out the same week about how women didn't take enough exercise. So actually, it caused me to connect these two things. And I have now started doing research and about how much this is an issue for women. Much is it informing their... Um, willingness to exercise outside. But actually, we're finding it's even informing women's willingness to go into gyms. So, I mean, there's, there's lots of things going on here. So this is actually a public health issue as much as anything else. Park that for a minute. This was a big group running. Out we went, out back we came. I asked the guys when we came back. Nothing had happened to any of them. I went uh, back and spoke to the guy who, who runs the group and we had some conversation. He's a good friend. We had some conversation around it. I said I was uh, going to say something the next day when I got to... I, I told I told the authorities effectively in the sports centre what had happened, that I was going to say something the next day, partly because the two women I run with weren't employees of the university and I was mortified. I was mortified at what had just happened to us because these two young women had been treated so badly. It, it, it's, it's, it's not relevant really, but were the men students, as far as you know, or were they Some people? were, some weren't. Okay. Couldn't say for sure. So um, back I went the next day and I, I, I tried to raise it internally. Um, and one of the things that happened routinely was um, go to the police. And I was trying to get across, well, this is a cultural issue. This is, you know, women will not go each time to the police because, of course, you'll get this reaction. But anyway, the column eventually, uh, I wrote the column because to get a bit of traction on it, um, it went in. The The response I got to that column was unbelievable. I had people sending me personal stories, mothers of daughters ringing me, um, all sorts of horror stories of young girls and what had happened to them in Cork and Belfast and Westport. I mean, it. but I also had colleagues, of course, who kind of connect with me as a runner, um, men who told me that this was happening to them. So we have since collected data and asked people and women experience, women runners at least, experience this about five to six times more often than men. Women cyclists have this as a problem. Um, so basically anybody who's out and, uh, and about is exposed by quite a serious margin. Now I have one colleague in the sports science department in Limerick and he um, has had quite a few incidents. Um, always young men, you know, belittling him as a, because of course he is exposed and he is out and on his own running up and down the riverbank or whatever it is. And so it does happen to men, but it nearly always seems to be men that do it. It's perpetrated by men. Yeah, it's very rarely women that do it to men. And I wonder, does does it have different different connotations when men do it to men? You don't feel the same sexual menace, do you? Is that that different, Orla, or is it the same thing? There's two things there. The first thing is there isn't the same sexual objectification going on. And I think you referred to that already, this idea that you're being looked at and somehow you should be complimented. So the sexualisation and the objectification. But I think what is the same is that the dynamic within the group of men doing it, because it is often two or three men or eight men or five men. So in the example we had, it was groups of men. The dynamic in that group of men is the same. They're playing to their buddies. They don't give a hoot about what I think or what Sinead thinks or what my male running colleague thinks. They only care about what their pals think. So they're playing to a male audience or as my pal uh, in Limerick said, sometimes there will be women in that group. You know, the men will be doing the, the shouting or whatever. There will be women there, young women in that group, but they won't necessarily be. But that's the group they're playing to. They're, that's the Jack the Lad 
mentality. So Orla, we're talking sort of anecdotally so far. You have looked at studies, I think, have you? Yeah. Yeah, and we started to collect data. So yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Just, I mean, is it a is it a worldwide thing? Are we very bad in Ireland? Are our statistics worse than others? How do we figure in the international harassment sticks? Yeah. So I would be particularly paying attention to the exercisers out on the street mm. rather than to your experience. Um, so I'm less, I'll be less good on the on the you know how how much I have a colleague in UL who has been modelling how it works if X proportion of men do this, how many women have the experience. And it actually takes quite a small proportion of men for many, many women Mm. to have this experience. But it creates a culture of fear. In terms of the stats around exercise, it is absolutely clear that the the harassment of women exercisers is at least at a minimum a Western problem. But I would say it's... I would be quietly confident it's more than just Western because the gender imbalances, you know, are worse in developing countries. But there have been fairly huge incidents in the States. Uh, one woman killed. Um, there has been, a, um, going back to the ambivalence, there was a big case in the UK recently where the police advised women not to run on their own. That caused a storm. Um, why not advise men? <laughs> not to harass women. And here we're back to the ambivalence. Um, There was one woman who contacted me after I wrote the piece in the Irish Times um, who said that she had contacted the police about an incident here in Ireland. Um, And when she got through to the guards, a woman answered the phone, a woman woman guard, and said to her, well, if I was you, I wouldn't run in the street. That was the advice she got. Now, I'm kind of surprised, Sinead, to hear that because I, you and I happen to know somebody who did go to the guards, who was out running um, and uh, she did go to the... She was, she was actually physically slapped on the bum um, and she felt... She, I, I can't remember the details now, but anyway, she was very shocked and then she saw the same guys engaging with somebody further on and pouring water over them. And she did go to the guards and she found them extremely sympathetic Oh, this this guard was extremely sympathetic. Which, yeah. now, and I have had that experience of uh, somebody I was running with being slapped on the bum as we went past and I went to give out and she stopped me. She said, no, we just run faster. <laughs> but uh, the guards were extremely sympathetic. But they, they ultimately the advice was. Yeah, I think the guards are getting better as well at not just being sympathetic but figuring out what they can do about it. I had an incident um, probably about three months ago now where I was walking down um, Georgia Street and a man walked by me and just it was amazing slate of hand. He managed to get his hand inside my coat and grope my bum <laughs> and I again turned around and I kind of froze so I didn't end up saying anything to him. I kind of turned around to say something and nothing came out of my mouth and afterwards I was kind of annoyed that I didn't go to the guards just because I thought, well, you're not actually allowed to touch me like that. That is a criminal offence. And the more, and it goes to that ambivalence thing, the more that we actually call it out, the more, like, if someone had actually, if the guards had actually called to his door, he might think twice the next time and think, I'm actually not allowed to put my hand out and just rub it along someone else's body. Um, but I was annoyed afterwards I didn't do it. But one of the problems is what you referred to earlier is that, you know, you're afraid that people are going to say that you're looking for attention. Mm. Do you know? So in trying to... And I I had that feeling when I said, OK, I'm going to say this. I had that, that there would be a backlash, that I would get pushback for saying, oh, this is not OK. Um, so you do have, you know, and oh, you're just trying to make out now that everybody, you know, loves your love. Yeah, you're, you know? you're trying to point out the fact that <laughs> so it, you're lovely looking. So I think there's, you a, have. Yeah, there's an ambivalence that's out there that we all understand. But then that ambivalence is also internal. So mm. we're quite conflicted about saying it. And let's face it, good girls don't kick up like that. Well, yeah. And I think <laughs> the more you have to explain to people like I don't feel complimented by it. I don't feel like it's. At all. I never feel complimented by it. I never think, God, that lad must think I'm great and lovely looking because he groped me or he shouted but at you me. Need, but Sinead, isn't it back to the same old thing that it's it's regarded as a subjective thing um, that you're just a bit of a snowflake, basically, because you reacted so badly to 
these boys just yeah. shouting at you. They probably had a few drinks on them. I you was know, quite interested by that reaction. People saying that I was the snowflake and I was the one who couldn't handle life. Yet the people who were saying that to me were the ones who were all up in arms by reading this experience. They were feeling emotions and heightened emotions because of merely reading my feelings about this. Like I had one man say that procreation would be dead if women couldn't be approached anymore. And in the same breath, he had said, I was the one overreacting. And I said, oh, I called an experience I had not nice. (laughs) And you're predicting the end of the world because of it. And I'm the one overreacting. So... I th- I would love to to figure out what the psychology of men is that they can't hear, even if they know that they don't do it, they don't shout at women on the street or they don't wolf whistle or they don't grope, that they still can't hear an experience like that and not be able to empathise or see what's actually wrong with it. All they jump to is... OK, before we move handle. on, I want to read out some research that has been done that was given to me by Jenny, Jennifer Ryan, our producer here. And... Sexual harassment in public space is a serious problem throughout the EU, with one in five women reporting they have experienced sexual or physical violence since the age of 15. Research from the EU fundamental rights agenda shows that the problem is even worse in Ireland, with one in every three women responding that they had directly experienced such an incident. Ireland has the second highest percentage in the EU of women who reported that they avoid certain places or situations for fear of harassment or violence. So are we still talking about a few perpetrators, Orla, or what are we talking about here? On the one hand, we know an awful lot of fine, decent men and Sinead reports that the response from the building sites now isn't at all like it used to be in my day (laughs) where you lived in fear of walking past. You pulled your coat around you and... Or GA team, I remember being 11 and 12 and walking by GA teams if they'd be in the club. <laughs> and you were twelve. Oh, this is yeah. terrible. So, Orla, what is it? So, 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 it's certain groups of men. Is it a certain type of man? What is it? What What is driving this? Yeah. Uh, what is driving it? Some of what's driving it is how young men, in particular, because I don't see just as many older men. <laughs> out doing this, but that young men in particular, um, that that uh, sort of bravado and, you know, oh, ha, 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 am and I, am and I the boy? And I can say this. And again, playing to the group of boys, not playing to the group that they're harassing, that there is if you like, um, status to be achieved by doing something that is perceived as uh, sexual and a bit risky. So some of it is that culture of within groups of young men that this is a funny thing to do because mostly, what certainly in the experiences I've had in the last five years, they, the, the young men appear to think they're hilarious. They appear to think that this is only gas altogether. So they have no sense of how it's playing with with the recipients, whether the recipient is male or female. So it is entertainment that and it's group based entertainment that they feel that they're having. This is a way to to, I suppose, look big in front of their peers. I think there's a scale as well. Like I think, I think scale is really important. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a scale of like a lot of people just kept calling this wolf whistling as well, which really annoyed me. Like that's not what we said had happened, and that that's that it's a very different thing. Wolf whistles aren't great; they're not nice, but it's very they're they're a very different experience as well. Um, I think a, a wolf whistle is a misplaced compliment in some Egypt's mind, but it's also mm. a sexualization of a what should be a very ordinary street experience so that it's really problematic but there's there's a greater scale of what people are doing some of it is sexualization I think and then it all it goes to I see a lot of what I've experienced over the years as anger and some of it is is power power plays and, and it's when men are on their own I often feel like it's a power thing like I can I can do whatever I want to you really and the thing that I'm going to choose to do is shout at you or or leer at you. And or, that would or, be a fellow on his own. Yeah, like I've had a couple um, 
I've two happened a few years ago. Again, going back to what I was saying earlier, I was, I was single at the time, so I feel feel like I was on my own a lot more and, and experiencing it a lot more. Um, I had one man in Rat Minds shout at me from the other side um, that I was a fat C U N T. Goodness. Um, and I think that was he was he just sounded really angry, mm. um, and just for people who don't know me like objectively I'm not fat so whatever he was trying to get at he was either trying to get at mm. an insecurity that a, a slim person might have or he was trying to get at that I was you know not as I don't know whatever I thought about myself it wasn't what he thought about me um, and then very quickly after that I was walking down um, a street in Ranala and a guy came up into my face and went to spit at me so he didn't actually spit but did the the motion of spitting and thought and just walked on. And in that experience, I knew he was going to do something. You must have provoked him. I was walking down the street and this I was I could see him coming and I thought this lad is going to do something. And I don't know why I knew that, but I just knew it. And I was wondering what he was going to do. Just did the head down, keep walking. And he went, did the action as if to spit in my face and then just laughed. So it was the, the and he was on his own and he did what you were saying. He just thought it was gas. Oh, I'm going to psychologise you now into the middle of next week. So <laughs> go for it. Great, Kathy. So, Free psychology. So <laughs> and I'd love to have it on the podcast. Go for it, all. <laughs> so I suppose one of the things that social psychologists talk about is the idea that you can be on your own, but you can still be in your social group. Right. So you can uh, be standing on the top of Crow Patrick and nobody else there and have a profound sense of yourself as being a member of the Irish national group or the Catholic group. You can feel beautifully Irish and Catholic and nobody else will be there. So the co-presence of others is not required for people to still do the social thing. So one thing we can say for certain was when that man called you a fat cunt, it was not about you because he didn't know you. So it was in no way an interpersonal interaction. It has to have been an intergroup interaction. And the language is explicitly gendered. So he has explicitly gendered the language, even the inclusion of fat. It's more of a, you know, it's often a dig at women yeah. more than men. So we know that he's interacting you with you, not as a person, but as a member of the other group. So he's behaving very much as a man and he's interacting with you as a woman. And what's governing his behaviour are all these gendered norms. Nothing to do at all with sort of idiosyncratic, is, he, uh, is his personality off? Is his, you know, it's, that's not what's guiding it. So you probably reminded him of someone. He had something in his head at the time about, I don't know, his mother, his wife, or some other you know, or he was just sick of his female boss yeah, and yeah. He, he, he wanted to show who was boss here. All, you know, all sorts of, but for sure it was never about you. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's really difficult for women in these instances is to understand and sort of put up the boundaries that that wasn't about me. That was in no way about me. And it me. is really hard because really I remember, hard to do that. I remember what I was wearing that day. Yeah. And this is yeah. about you, three and a half years ago, I think. And I remember what I was wearing. So you look for mm. the reasons as to why what you did, what you might have done to provoke it. But actually, that that's nonsensical because his behaviour was totally over the top for somebody walking up the street. Mm. And I think then the other thing about scale is the reason that this concerns women so much. And I think it's something that men really as a group struggle to understand because they don't have the same vulnerability on the street is that this scale goes all the way up to the girl in the States who was out running and ended up uh, who was harassed and ended up dead in the boot of somebody's car. This, this is, you know, we're talking about the thin end of the wedge here, but it is a scale. And the other end of the scale is really very dangerous for women. Um, and I think by allowing it to continue um, at a low level, at this kind of thin end of the wedge level, actually, you're allowing people to dismiss much more threatening behaviour as something that's this minor street You've issue. hit on something very important there, Orla, because on Liveline, which I listen to very carefully, uh, a number of men 
intervened to say how they had been harassed. One guy said he was walking on the street minding his own business. Women pulled up in a car and asked him how much he charged. Another guy said he had, he said, um, he was sitting in a bar alone, minding his own business again, and this strange woman, woman slapped me hard on the ass, he said. Hard enough that it hurt. No one said a word. Someone hit me. I'm reasonably fit. I was very upset about it. But if I'd gone to the Garda station, they'd have told me to go home. We are silenced. Men cannot complain because we are men. Now, that is, there's a point, Sinead, being missed very profoundly there, isn't there? Yeah. Which is the, the arc that, that Order was talking about. There's that. And there was just a, such an obvious hypocrisy in both of those callers because they were on the one hand saying that I was overreacting and that actually was just a fact of life and I should get over it. But then on the other hand, we're giving their ex- experiences, which they found as similar experiences and saying they were intimidating and frightening they and scared and, and they were put yes. out by it. So I was like, but if you just translate that to what I like our feelings are the same here. <laughs> so I, I did think it was interesting that their feelings were the same, but I, I did question whether they were because they couldn't empathise with my situation. So if their feelings were actually the same, they wouldn't have had an issue with what I was talking about. Well, what they were doing was criticising the fact that we were all listening to you and people like you, but no one was listening to them, that they had been silenced, Orla. And in fact, I, I would say that's probably true. But I think what I'm hearing from Sinead is um, that she feels as if somebody's trying to silence her as well. So I do think that there are parallels. But what's getting in the way is that somehow it's been constructed as a men versus Mm. women. But actually, this isn't a men versus women issue. This is an issue around street harassment. It tends to occur more in groups that would be perceived as less powerful. That would include people of colour young people, uh, women, probably uh, disabled groups. Um, I think if you went to any vulnerable group, you'll find that this is a much higher uh, incidence. And then, of course, if you are several of those categories, you know, if you're an intersectional vulnerability, well, actually, you're going to find probably off the scale experience. Um, Certainly, uh, gay men are are a good example yeah, I heard of... A, I heard a lot know? from gay men who talked about yeah. Yeah, things that they would, you know, men rolling down windows, shouting out queer to them. Um, yeah. Fat women, that's another big yeah. one. There's a lot yeah. of people who will talk about, particularly around exercise, but just yeah. every day, just walking yeah. down the street. I've had friends who would say that men feel like they can just speak to them and about their bodies or maybe mm. not about their bodies, but they feel like it's always about their bodies because they're targeted in a way that makes them feel that. So... So can we just talk about solutions, Orla? What is to be done? If you had a magic wand, obviously it's just say stop now, cop on. But we don't. And you describe it as a cultural thing. It really isn't a matter of going to the guards and saying, I want you to charge that guy, is it? Well, I think there are instances where clearly you go to the guards um, and it is important that there are prosecutions. Uh, I think that needs to be done, needs to be seen to be done, because otherwise it doesn't look like we're taking it seriously at all. And there have been a couple, just to interrupt for a second, Mm -hmm. there have been a couple recently and there is another man charged um, quite recently as well in Dublin for this kind of thing. Mm. Some of it's groping rather than just shouting or whatever, Mm. but the the guards do take it seriously when they can, yeah. yeah. But remember, of course, we have huge ambivalence about uh, sexual crimes and and about the criminal justice system and, and how um, women and men are treated when they've been sexually assaulted or raped. So, And this is also part of this is the same culture. So I think, yes, the guards take it seriously, but to suggest that somehow that the system is working um, no. would, be, would be entirely problematic. So that'd be first issue. There's an issue in there. I think there needs to be uh, a, a zero tolerance for harassment of anybody, not just women, harassment of anybody. People need to feel safe on the streets. Um, I think that it is a particular problem among young men and young women. I think, you know, it's it's a particular issue as young people come of age. Um, the incident that happened to me on the university was in the first couple of weeks of term. And I do think that there was, you know, effectively students who hadn't learnt the new norms of what was acceptable. I think we have particular problems in our secondary schools. Um, Certainly there's, I can think of at least two theses, PhD theses that have been done that demonstrates that there's 
endemic sexual harassment in, in schools. And then we're expecting kids to come out of that and suddenly say, oh, not going to happen anymore. Um, so I think there's a lot of educational stuff to be done. Um, but I do think zero tolerance around it is. And, and I think that speaks to the the caller who to to Liveline, who's upset the male caller as much as it does to yeah. Sinead. That, but I think um, with for that education piece, we can't just leave it to the parental lottery. Like, you know, a lot of the men and women who are on Liveline or are responding to you or responding to I about what we were talking about, they're parents of young kids or parents of teenagers. And so if they're not hearing it at home, that actually, God, isn't it terrible that that happened? Like, and, and sitting down with their 14-year-olds and going, you know that's not okay and you, you shouldn't have to put up with that or you know you shouldn't do that, that is not okay. So they're not hearing that at home. So it means that it has to yeah. be more formalised. Yeah. They're you hearing know. boys will be boys. Yeah, so one of the worst things I heard, and I, actually it took me several minutes to process it, was a student came in after the whole hullabaloo that around the running thing and a student came around your me. article yeah and uh, so the, all the students were talking about it because I had gone around and asked all these students has this happened to you has it happened to you tell me what happened to you so you know I had been quizzing them all student came back in and she uh, told me that um, he had seen that and uh, he had seen it in the paper and he said well now really who are you kidding any woman that goes out walking or running the roads is looking for attention so there is a position there. Now, if you leave that parent to... It took me a while to process. How would you get to that position? So if you leave that parent to educate um, children on this issue, we're in, we're in trouble. But then the other half is, you know, then we're asking schools to fix what is a very, you know, a very strange... Uh, position coming yeah. from the parent. Yeah, you 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 are expecting kind of to override like parental and household norms, but in the same way, like we don't leave parents to teach our kids maths because that would be <laughs> a horrific waste of time in a lot of instances. So like there has to be some. <laughs> Kathy's laughing. I think one uh, one of the things that was I yes, suppose one of the personal examples. I didn't have to teach maths to my children. I think one of the I suppose a positive example was where I got a very quick response was from the students' union in the university, and they took a very strong position. And I think actually that was really important because that was very educational for the students that this wasn't acceptable. That yeah, this, and you know, it, so I and do it, think that there are things that can be done around that. And when I you would talk like to about your workplace yeah. as well, like yeah. my boss once she came into work and um, I kind of felt bad because I was like, I've been feeling Twitter replies for about an hour and she was so supportive and tweeted about it as well and kind of made me feel like this is totally not OK that you've had to deal with this today. So there's there's a support thing there as well and that everybody now in my office, even if there'd be some rogue people who think it was OK, kind of get this feeling, well, I can't have that opinion in this office space, which is important too. Well, to end with, I think I'd like to say that the one of the problems with this kind of conversation is that you feel absolutely immersed in all these terrible stories and you kind of feel defeated by it in many ways, especially when, I mean, listening to Liveline actually was one of the worst experiences of my entire year. I honestly felt defeated after listening to it. On the other hand, Sinead, you did point out in one of your tweets that this is not anything like it used to be. Yeah, well, I... I thought that and then I was a bit defeated by some of the replies I got that people were saying it's as bad. I I think the scale of it is different. Like maybe more men know that they can't grope you. So maybe that's why you're still getting shouted at or um, but there was a lot to end on a positive note. There was a lot of people who did just think this was horrendous. And I had a gorgeous taxi man coming out from The Tonight Show after talking about it and having a really rough experience with another woman on the panel. And he just turned to me and said, but I just, it's so simple in my head. Like if there's three men and I was going to work and three men started shouting at me, I would go into alert mode. So of course, as a woman, it's going to feel even worse. A hundred times worse. Yeah. And so there was people who just got it and he is a parent to boys and girls so like you know there there will there will be good examples out there it's right. just maybe about so I think we've aired through. this pretty comprehensively 
Um, I think one of the important messages is this arc from being catcalled all the way up to a woman being murdered. Um, and that's probably at the heart of this, is that we are told to be fearful. And that is probably good advice. So I, we, have, we have no solutions, I think, beyond trying to acculturate young men into, into recognising that I women... One thing that I would say is, um, despite my youthful appearance, I am running very many years. So I started running when I was 29. And this has been happening to me for 20 years. And we're only beginning to talk about it. So I think that's really positive. That's an excellent note to end on. Professor Orna Muldoon and Sinead O'Carroll, thank you so much for coming into the Women's Podcast. Thanks for having us. Yes, indeed. And that's it for today. Thanks to all my guests today, Professor Orla Muldoon and Sinead O'Carroll of thejournal.ie. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with Rob O'Sullivan on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Now, a portion of the podcast on June 13th referred to an interview that Michael Reed of LMFM Radio had with Councillor Annie Hoey on the issue of Oireachtas members and maternity leave. Mr Reed has asked that this statement, which he made to the press ombudsman, be read out. I wish to make a complaint against both the Irish Times and the Irish Times journalist Roisin Ingle, whom I believe has been in breach of various aspects of the Code of Practice in the publication of the Irish Times Women's Podcast, episode 316, 13th of June 2019. I contend the podcast breached the following principles. Principle 1, truth and accuracy. Principle 2, distinguishing fact and comment. Principle 3, fair procedures and honesty. Principle 4, Respect for Rights, Principle 8, Prejudice. I am attaching an audio recording from this podcast, which is an interview Roisin Ingle did with a newly elected councillor, Annie Hoey, in the Irish Times Women's Podcast, episode 316. Their conversation centres around a radio interview from earlier that week, Monday the 10th of June, and the type of questions which I had put to Annie Hoey in an interview on my LMFM radio programme. I am also attaching an audio recording of my LMFM interview for your attention. The Irish Times knowingly and unfairly distorted my line of questioning in the radio interview. It decided to hone in on one question, which it intentionally took out of context, so as to distort the subject matter of how there is a constitutional impediment to Oireachtas members voting remotely. A referendum would be required to pass if Oireachtas members were to become entitled to maternity leave. The story published by the Irish Times is based on a tweet and the reaction to the message that Annie Howie put on Twitter. The podcast is in breach of Principle 1.1 because no effort was made to bring balance to this story. I was never contacted for comment. An email I sent to Roisin Ingle went unresponded to. The interview ignored how it is impossible for national politicians to take maternity leave. My question was... Should the Constitution be amended if it is appropriate to allow them to vote remotely? The podcast inaccurately argues that I questioned Annie Hoey in my radio interview about her reproductive choices. I did not. The podcast is in breach of Principle 2.2 as this story is based on a tweet and what was said in response to the tweet on social media. It is complete conjecture to suggest that I was personally calling into question the appropriateness of politicians having babies when, in fact, I was asking about a constitutional barrier to Oireachtas members taking maternity leave. The podcast is in breach of Principle 3.3 as no effort was made to contextualise the questions that have been put to Annie Hoey in my radio interview. No effort was made to make contact with me by the Irish Times before it recorded an interview with Annie Hoey. When I became aware of the interview, I wrote to the journalist and cautioned against publication on the grounds of it being misleading and inaccurate. While the email I sent to the journalist before publication was referred to partially in the podcast, I was not responded to. This is despite my suggestion to Roisin Ingle that this story might be defamatory against me. 
The podcast is in breach of Principle 4 because the facts of this story were not checked before publication, causing significant damage to my good name and to my personal reputation. The podcast is in breach of Principle 8. There is a gender-biased tone against men throughout, inferring a stereotypical male Neanderthal mindset exists. The podcast portrays me in this exact light because it implies I asked the councillor if Oroctus members should take maternity leave instead of looking at the context in which the question was asked and if a referendum should be held on the issue, the podcast took on board the judgment of social media, the court of public opinion. The anti-male bias is compounded directly by how it said he didn't let it go as so often men don't. The bias against men as articulated is not a criticism of all men it seems. The reason you were talking on the radio in the first place was because Sean O'Fergal was supporting gender quotas and he was saying that the doll and the chamber should be breastfeeding friendly. So there are men out there who have a handle on how things should be going. The implication here is that some men don't understand these issues because of the fact that they are men. The Irish Times has rejected my complaint, as you will see from the attached correspondence, so I feel obliged for this issue to be looked at independently, as I believe untold damage has been done to my reputation personally and to the integrity of my work as a journalist. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.